I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm a senior editor at Light Reading, and we're here on site in the Boeing facility in El Segundo, California. And I'm joined by Rui Pinto with SES Satellites. Good to see you. Well, thank you very much, Kathleen. Good to see you as well. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. Um, would love to hear uh, just a little bit about yourself and your role at SES. So I'm the chief technology officer at SES. I have been with the company for, oh, almost seven years. And I consider myself to be really lucky. It's an exciting job. We have a great team. We look at space technology. We are developing some cool, exciting stuff. So I'm lucky. I enjoy it every, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Yeah. And uh, you have some exciting developments coming up with um, going on the O3B Empower um, satellites. Tell us a little bit about um, that project and, and what's on the horizon there. Sure. So O3B Empower is, is a really important job, a really important project for us at SES. MIO is what we consider the orbit, if we go stuck into orbits and so on, is what we consider our sweet spot where we can provide a better service for our customers. It has lower latency than higher satellites and it's much more scalable and you need less satellites than the lower orbit systems. Just for you to have an idea, six satellites can provide global coverage in, in the MIO orbit. And then power is our second generation. So we have been providing uh, services to our customers for Mio since probably 2014, 15. We have 20 satellites there, but they were the first generation. We learned a lot since then. And the partnership with Boeing takes that to the next level. Empower is essentially a completely configurable satellite, mm -hmm. which is really important nowadays, right? When you use your mobile phone, you don't know which app you're going to be using next year, how you're going to use your phone, the new applications. It's a platform for you to develop uh, applications for your customers, if you wish. We look at Empower the same way, both the ground and the satellites. They are almost a blank canvas where we can draw new services, come up with new capabilities and provide them to our customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought one of the really interesting things we discussed today was just the software-defined satellites, which is something that, you know, we talked to a lot of service providers about um, in terms of, uh, you know, virtualized routers and white boxes and the importance of, um, you know, ha having uh, that power from the software versus the, you know, reliance on the hardware and the disaggregation there. So can you talk a little bit about um, what SES has developed in terms of ARC and the, uh, the software-defined satellites? Yes. So first, as I was saying, you need the capability to reconfigure your satellites. O3B Empower is just the first of them. We are also deploying two software-defined satellites in a higher orbit in GEO. And it's not just enough to have a programmable satellite. You have to program it and you have to uh, resource allocate the capabilities of that satellite to different customers, to different applications. Essentially, you are deploying power and bandwidth. You are deploying capacity whenever you want, wherever you want, in what in whatever way you want. Mm -hmm. So you want those three things. And you need a control plane to do that. So. Let's pick up a use case, which is always better to think about use cases. Pick up a floating town, a cruise ship, where you have three to 5,000 people that are just sailing along the Caribbean or Mediterranean. 
you want to provide the same experience to those folks that you're providing when they are back at home, connected with their phones and so on. So the adaptive resource controller control plane, it will dynamically every minute, almost, we will allocate capacity, power and bandwidth to that ship as needed, right? You can imagine when it's 3 p.m., there is a lot of traffic, people are calling and sending videos, doing FaceTime. When it's 3 a.m., there will be much less traffic. So we can adapt to the traffic pattern on a floating town. And more than that, we can follow it, right? We create this bubble that is following that mobile platform, cruise ship. <laughs> so that capability needs to be orchestrated. Mm -hmm. And ARC is the orchestrator that receives the information about the traffic patterns, learns using AI from how, what happened the, the previous day, right? Because traffic patterns for mobile platforms, for planes, for cruise ships, for commercial ships, they tend to repeat themselves a little bit. So learns from the past, predicts the future, and allocates and optimizes the resources so that we maximize the user experience. That's why ARC is so exciting. And we are ahead of it. We were talking about multi-orbit before other operators were talking about it years ago. So, yeah, that's that's unique that, um, you know, with that AI capability, maybe you can find out, well, this cruise ship, they like to stay up late and use this much bandwidth. And this one, they're a little 100%. bit quieter. Yes, <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. So uh, from a partnership standpoint, um, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you're working with um, service providers on, um, you know, providing connectivity services to uh, different regions such as Africa and then also some underserved areas? Yes. So Africa is a good is a good case study because there the, the best the, or, or a sweet spot application is mobile backhaul. Mm -hmm. I, you, you want to connect those base stations to a central network and then power is good because when that capacity is not being used, say, on a cruise ship, we can provide power and focus on an area that has a number of base stations and then connect those base stations to the network of the mobile network operator, for example. That's one way in which we cooperate with, uh, with MNOs. In Africa, in particular, it's very, very relevant because the fiber structure is still... Well, Africa is underserved, so the fiber structure is still being developed. You don't have good terrestrial connectivity. You have varying degrees of connectivity to different countries. That variability plays to our strengths because we can move. So, for example, imagine a country like Tanzania. They may have good connectivity. They are deploying it. We don't need to provide as much there, but a country like uh, Somalia, for example, uh, may have a much bigger need. So we can play with that and allocate that dynamic. It's the same concept, maybe not with the same speed. Another variation as well, which is applicable to Africa, but it's applicable in other places, is where you have temporary disruptions. If I pick up the US, pick up Hurricane Ian in Florida, for example, the whole terrestrial infrastructure was disrupted. We can provide what I would call the surge capability. You have, uh, for example, uh, let's say floods in India, or you have a natural disaster in Africa. We can go and provide a surge capability to a telco. And the way we look at it, which is a variation on the flexibility, is that pick up a telco, any telco, AT&T, Verizon, which, whichever one, Orange, which is very strong in Africa, we can go to them and provide, hey, you have a certain amount of capacity that you can deploy anywhere that you want, 
at very short notice. And you may not be deploying it now. So they have a, call it a reservation or uh, a capability to deploy that. So we get the call and you move a couple of trucks and you are set up within a few hours providing that surge capacity which is there. So we are not paying for that capacity the whole time, but you are paying for the capability to deploy that capacity anywhere. And there is a lot of value for telcos uh, around that. And, you know, it, it's, it's a great use case for people in need for natural disasters mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah, that sounds like that would be um, appealing to have that, um, I suppose, as a service or as, a, you know, not a locked in contract to have to have that much capacity all the time. So, are you, you know, you mentioned AT&T and Verizon. Are you partnering with um, uh, FirstNet or Frontline at all? Or do you, um, uh, can you talk a little bit more about how you provide connectivity services when there is a natural disaster? So with Verizon, we work closely with them. That's a good case. And uh, we have uh, we have agreements with them on how to provide that capacity. So Verizon is a good use case. We work with Orange as well. It's a slightly different uh, setup because we have to adapt what our customers want. But Verizon, Orange, Deutsche Telekom, we work uh, uh, a little bit with them. We work with Claro in Brazil. So there are a variety of, uh, of MNOs, of mobile network operators that we work with. And we try to configure the flexibility, the beauty of Empower uh, and uh, our future capabilities with Arc is that we can configure the service to what the customer wants without having to buy a new satellite or deploy a new ground station without expensive infrastructure following it. Yeah, I'm sure that's very helpful <laughs> for them to rely on. And um, being from a state where hurricanes are a problem in North Carolina, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, so I also wanted to um, just hear a little bit about uh, more on the um, O3B Empower deployment. When can we expect to um, see the launch of some of these satellites? I think on the tour you mentioned December, January timeframe. And then what are you excited about there? Oh, I'm Terribly excited, right? I mean, have you it, slept it, at all in the last? Uh, few uh, not, not, not a lot, not a lot, and you know, it, it couldn't have come too sooner, right? I mean, we have been working hard, Boeing and SES on O3B and Power. These are new ground-breaking satellites, so you know you have to test them appropriately. You have to have uh, the right supply chain. You have to provide all the components, a package. So it took a little bit longer than we hoped, but the first two satellites will be launched on the week of December twelfth which is a Monday, and December 15th is a Thursday. So you can see that I've been thinking about it. The 12th it. is also my husband's birthday. So oh, is that so? Yeah, All right. To, to I remember that. Yes. yes. <laughs> so if you go into the SpaceX website, hopefully on the 12th, uh, weather permitting, so we always have the, the, a little bit of uncertainty of a couple of days here and there. But the first two satellites will be flying on that week. Uh, and the next, because you remember, we, you need six at least. So the next, uh, actually the next six, so that we have at least eight and we have some redundancy, will be launched throughout January, February, March, Q1, 2023. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the exact weeks for those yet. But, you know, once you start the, the production line that you saw in the factory with Boeing, will kick into place. And mm -hmm. SpaceX has been very responsive, a good partner as well. So we, we are locked and loaded to, to have all these flying by hopefully the end of Q1 next year. Mm 
<laughs> then we have to just just be precise there. We have you saw the electro propulsion. We have to orbit raise them to their final location, and we will have a full commercial service by the end of Q3 2023. Yeah, I think you said it's about six months from yes. launch to, yes. so to if you pick operational up December plus six. You know, you, we can start testing them uh, in orbit around May June. And by September, we should have ironed out the whole constellation. Mm -hmm. And it, it was also really interesting to see um, just the size difference in um, the the new Empower uh, satellites versus uh, historically, it seemed like um, you know nearly half the size or, or more uh, because there's so much software capability. Uh, can you talk a little bit about? Um, why it's important to your partner with uh, Microsoft and Amazon, um, folks like that to um, uh, achieve your, you mentioned uh, your multi-cloud strategy as well earlier. So for them, and we, you know, Microsoft was the first partner that we worked closely with, but we do have a multi-cloud strategy. For Microsoft, it was important from, is important from a number of perspectives. First, Microsoft is looking to extend Azure. Right. Again, the same concept, the edge cloud. Right. So they want to extend their cloud and have an edge cloud on an oil rig, on a ship, on an airplane or even on place where global connectivity is, is not as good. They have one of the largest, if not the largest fiber network in the world. And that's not enough. So we can provide them with an extension of the cloud for customers that need that extension. That's case number one. Uh, case number two is that we have been, for our other customers, we have been co-locating some of our gateways, some of our access stations to the satellite with Azure data centers. And what that means is that when the data comes from the satellite, you don't need to go into another terrestrial network to get to your customer. You can go into the Azure cloud if our customer is using Azure cloud and instantly you have your data. So we have a partnership there. And that partnership includes, includes even some uh, gateways that are not just for empower data. They are used for earth observation and so on. So that's that's another important aspect. And I think the third is that we are developing uh, with Microsoft some cloud-specific applications, right? So that we can go jointly to some of our customers and say, hey, you can use our capability of mobility with the Azure cloud uh, to have a different sort of service. Uh, we, do, we are doing and talking about the same thing with Amazon, but we are just not that advanced with them. But Amazon, uh, AWS, they are strong on video and many of our customers are video customers. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're approaching the cloud and that's how we think we are relevant to them and I think they are interested in what we are doing. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept that we have with Verizon. We can deploy that capability where they need, when they need it. And then also curious um, from a... Uh, you know, once the satellite's up there, I imagine you're limited in what you can do um, in case there's um, both, you know, physical disruptions, but then also, um, you know, how do you address uh, technological challenges to the satellite um, if, you know, a system goes down? Uh, wh what does that look like uh, from an operational standpoint, if that makes sense? Uh, well, I, I think it does. Well, let's... Let, let... Let me try to give you my view or my answer, and you tell me that if I'm on the sweet spot of what where you are aiming at or not. So first, our satellites, the uh, Boeing has designed them alongside ourselves with full redundant systems, right? So if we have a failure on board of a particular system, there is a redundant system. So that ensures the design life of 10 to 12 years that we have on those satellites. Second, the fact that they are 
configurable that they are software programmable gives us the flexibility to actually not only provide this dynamic allocation, but it gives us the capability to reprogram them. Mm -hmm. So if, suppose that, for example, part of our payload degrades, uh, our uh, switch, our onboard switch is not working, we can reprogram the software to bypass that part is not working or to or to uh, to gradually adjust the performance. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of these satellites, and that's why uh, they 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 will have a useful life. It's not just a design life, but they will have a useful life with our customers that will be uh, longer. Mm -hmm. Does that also allow you to um, adjust to future um, cybersecurity concerns? That was something that um, we discussed this morning as well was the, the security components. So how are you in ensuring that those are secure satellites? Uh, yes, it does. So, I mean, the, the, the command links to our satellites, to Empower in particular, but also to other satellites, and the, the status from the satellites, what we call telemetry, it's all encrypted. So we have a level of protection there. Uh, we also, uh, we harden our uh, operations infrastructure. For example, in principle, we can operate the satellites completely disconnected from the internet, mm -hmm. for example, as a, a, an extra layer. We don't do that normally uh, because we want connectivity to our staff, to our internal networks, but we can, we can isolate, we can ring fence our networks. And if we detect a threat uh, to the satellites, Again, we can reprogram them. For example, if we are being interfered, we can create a black spot that doesn't listen to the interferer. For example, you can do that, or you can we can change the way we allocate bandwidth so that it's no longer trackable or it is no longer detectable or not as easily detectable. The programmability, the reconfigurability, gives you options to overcome these issues. Mm -hmm. That's how I would put it. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so it, what's next on the horizon for SES? What are some things that you're looking forward to in terms of, uh, you know, satellite deployments or different uh, vertical use cases? Uh, so in our industry, we're talking uh, about how disrupted our industry is, right? I mean, we have new space, we have new entrants, we have big companies like SpaceX and Amazon uh, investing heavily uh, on space. So in order to stand still, we have to run hard. We're already thinking about the next generation of MIO satellites that we want to deploy. How can we learn from Empower and make it even more powerful being in terms of bandwidth, in terms of power? How can we increase the coverage? How can we make it even more configurable while still making it backwards compatible with the Empower constellation? So that work is going on now. What what we did with Boeing in terms of partnering and stretching the technology back in, 2000, uh, in 2017, we are doing it again with our partners, including Boeing, and seeing what is it that we can provide, what is it that we can do to have the next generation meal flying pretty soon. Excellent. Well, it's very exciting and uh, wishing you best of luck on the launch. I know there'll be a lot of celebrating then. And, Absolutely. And then maybe you can catch up on some sleep after. <laughs> uh, yes. Thank you very much. Really appreciated your time as well, Kersley. Thank you. Thank you.